Happy Easter, everybody. We know where they come from. I'm Tim. I'm the one the bunny hates, and he's not the only one. We're glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome all of our campuses. Welcome to those of you watching online. Let's do a little test about empty, okay? Good or bad? Empty. Bad. Okay, how, how about this? This is even worse, right? You need Shazam walking around. Zap your phone for you, right? How about this? It's getting worse as we go, right? Oh, wait, it can still get worse. Yeah. This is why all your friends are moving to Indiana. But, 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 but wait, what about this one? What about this one? This one is good. The empty tomb is good, okay? This is why we're here. <laughs> this is why we celebrate. And uh, life after death, resurrection, it's insane. It's not like the guy who was a veterinarian and a taxidermist. Veterinarian and a taxidermist. His motto was, either way you get your cat back. <laughs> Veterinarian and taxidermist. We're, we're starting a series uh, with this called FOMO, okay? In case you're not hip with the, you know, lingo uh, the kids are using these days, FOMO is fear of missing out. We're doing a series about it. Pastor Todd and I will be uh, talking about FOMO and how Jesus can replace your fear with peace and contentment. Because FOMO is about making a decision based on fear. Normally, we talk about somebody having FOMO. It's that like they might miss out on something else. So they're like, oh, always trying something different because they have FOMO, fear of missing out. But it can also work the other way where you have FOMO of letting go of something that you're holding on to because you're afraid of missing out. Many of you Cub fans had that kind of FOMO for a long time, right? For years, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not going to do it. And then you'd be like, okay, next year, because one of these years they're going to do it. And they did. But you're, you're, you're I mean, that, that was old, okay? But they did, okay? <laughs> but, but your grandfather and your great-grandfather and your great-great-grandfather, they missed out on it because, you know, it didn't happen in their lifetime, but you hoiled on and you were rewarded, okay? So what, you got you to figure out, what are you going to do? Are you going to make a decision to go on to something new or are you going to hang on to the old? And it can be FOMO either way if fear is driving your decision. And I have an Easter story for you today. I'm going to talk about a character that I've never talked about before who had FOMO about giving up his former life to follow Jesus and was glad he did on Easter Sunday because Jesus did a miracle in his backyard and maybe he wants to do one in yours as well. This is my 29th Easter preaching at this church and I got to tell you I'm always looking for a new angle because I know some of you don't come that often and you want a new angle and I'm looking for a new angle and so I've got one today okay I'm just excited about it, it makes it easier for for me and if I tell you it's my 29th Easter that means I'm old and, and I got to tell you, there's something wonderful about being an old pastor. I'm embracing it as it goes on because I can stand up here and tell you how I really believe about this Jesus stuff. And by now you got to go, well, he must really believe it. Because if I didn't, I'd be off selling essential oils or something at this point in my life doing something else, right? Like, like last series was about relationships, and I stood up and I said, hey, guys, I've been married for 35 years, man. A 35 years marriage is worth the work. And nobody argued with me. I mean, somebody, you've been married longer than me, but nobody argued with me. If I would have stood up and said, oh, I've been married for five years, and it's really worth the work, you'd be like, whatever. You have no idea, right? Wait till the seven-year itch comes along, or, you know, wait till the kids come along, or wait till the empty nest, man, it's brutal. I didn't have anybody come up to me and say, well, you got to watch out for that 37-year itch, man. Just wait till the great-grandkids come along. 
And that empty mouth is brutal. No, nobody told nobody said that, okay? My age gives me a little bit of street cred. That's what I'm saying. Plus, I'm so old now, I don't care whether you believe I believe it anyway. I'm just going to tell it to you straight. I'm going to tell you that when Jesus says, I have come to bring you life and bring it abundantly, that it's the best decision that you can make, and you shouldn't have FOMO about what might happen to your old life if you decide to follow Jesus. When I tell you stuff like Jesus says we should forgive, believe me, because he said it, and it's true. It's a better way to live when you live in forgiveness. It's a better when Jesus said to give than to receive. It's true. I've been living it. When Jesus said don't worry about tomorrow because your father has it all covered, he knows the hairs on your head. It's true. You can look at my life and go, yeah, he's a satisfied customer. I'm like Brian Urlacher on the billboard, man. That's who I am. Speaking of the hairs on your head, pum okay, this is what I'm talking about. So listen to me. The reason that we have 22 Easter services instead of the one we had when I started 29 years ago is because we really want you to know that Jesus is real and that he's alive and that it changes everything. We really want you to know that he loves you so much that he died for your sins and he rose again to prove that there is hope for your life, now and forever. And it's not through my own works because I suck. It's through the gift of Jesus. That's what this is about. And I know that some of you might be on the fence with this Jesus thing. you got a little bit of FOMO. That's why I want to talk about it. And part of that may be because you think that following Jesus means that you've got to vote a certain way because you've been on Facebook too much or that you've got to believe a certain way or that you've got to listen to a certain kind of music. Or maybe somebody told you that following Jesus is about the stuff you've got to give up you know, you know, like drinking and tattoos, or maybe you're in a heavy metal band like Corn or something. That's a lie, okay? Following Jesus is not about what you give up. It's about what you get. So if you got FOMO this Easter, maybe you can relate to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he had FOMO. He feared the Jewish leaders. He was a Jewish leader. Joseph was a Pharisee who believed in Jesus, but he was afraid of what that might mean. He had this former life, and he was afraid of what it would look like if, he, if everybody knew that he followed Jesus because he was one of those guys. He was a Pharisee. He was one of those guys that Jesus was mad at. I've got a book I've been working on for 10 years. It's coming out in June, What Made Jesus Mad? And it's about, I think, it's easier to learn from what makes somebody mad than what makes them happy. Okay? It's really that simple. So I looked at the red, red letters in the Bible, and Jesus, you know, calls people sons of hell, and he calls them hypocrites, and he gets mad and throws people out of the temple. I mean, he's mad sometimes. And we should learn about that. And you know what's fascinating? It was the Pharisees almost always that Jesus was mad at. He was mad at them for their legalism, their judgmentalism, their hypocrisy, and their indifference to human need. He was mad at them because those things were blocking the way for people to get into the kingdom of God. And it was almost always the Pharisees that, they were, that Jesus was mad at. They were the church leaders of their day. They thought they deserved to be with God, and normal people didn't. And the reason I wrote the book is because it's scary how much the modern church can look like those people that Jesus was mad at. 
Joseph has FOMO about his coming out decision with Jesus because he doesn't want to lose his job. He's trying to fit in. Somewhere deep in his heart, he believes in Jesus. He just hasn't acted on it yet. And maybe that's where you're at. Joseph was a secret disciple because he feared FOMO. He had a fear of missing out because if he became one of those crazy Christ followers, he'd lose everything he built his life around. So Jesus comes in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, palm leaves, all that stuff, right? He comes in, everybody's all excited, he's going to be the new king. On Monday, he goes into the temple and opens up a can in the temple. I mean, he goes spider monkey in the temple. It's one of the obvious times I write about in the book. And I'm going to be preaching through the book in June, so you got to be back because he's not mad for the reasons you think he's mad, right, with the money changers. But he goes in and he turns the tables over and he throws people out and he's upset. And that starts a chain of events where the religious leaders, Joseph and his friends, are like, okay, we got to do something about this guy. We get to Thursday night, Jesus has the Last Supper, everybody on one side of the table for the picture. We're having the table picture here. Here we go, we're having the supper. I'm getting ready to die. He goes into the garden, and and what happens? He gets arrested, fake trial, dragged before Pilate. And all the while, Joseph is there. We know he's there. He's one of them. He's trying to blend in because he doesn't know what to do with this newfound faith in Jesus. It's like my favorite picture of blending in. That's a good one. It's a fox hunt. Where'd the fox go? Yeah, right? So Jesus is brought before Pilate. There's a fake trial. They condemn him to death for being the Messiah, which he was, by the way. They have him beaten. They have a crown of thorns put on his head. And then the Pharisees, all of Joseph's friends, they do this thing where they spit on Jesus. It's a sign of disgust. It's a sign of disrespect. It's a sign, we're better than you. We condemn you. You're not one of us. They're spitting on him. Joseph of Arimathea is there. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's doing like a fake spit. You know? I don't know if he's in the back just kind of trying to blend in like the fox. But he's there. They convince Pilate to execute Jesus. Not to be clear, Luke tells us that Joseph did not consent, for what it's worth. Member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and their action. And he's friends with another Pharisee named Nicodemus who was in the same boat, in the secret disciple group. It says Joseph of Arimathea was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Why would he visit Jesus at night? FOMO, he's, fear, he's got fear, he's afraid. He, he doesn't want anybody to know he's visiting Jesus. He's exploring Jesus, and this is great if this is where you're at. He's exploring, he's trying to figure it out. He's a secret disciple of Jesus. Here's what's fascinating. It's in, that, in this earlier discussion with Joseph's friend Nicodemus that we find Jesus giving us John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we find verse 16. Most famous verse ever. Football players write it under their eyes, right? It's on, you know, NASCAR. Somebody's got a big sign up. John 3.16. Why is it so important? Because it's the most important verse in the Bible. But it's in the context of a discussion that Jesus is having with these FOMO disciples, these secret disciples who can't decide if they're going to step out or not and actually follow Jesus. That's the context of the conversation of John chapter 3. So Jesus is like, 
dudes, can we go to bed? I'm tired. What are we doing? What are we, ta- what are we doing here? Well, we're trying to figure out who you are, Jesus, but we don't want anybody to know. And we're here. And Jesus says, well, what are you afraid of? Let, let me tell you what I have to offer you. This will change the context for you a little bit. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, me, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, have eternal life. What are you afraid of missing out on if you decide to follow me? What is your FOMO? I mean, what's more important than eternal life? A few sentences later, it kind of throws a little dig at Nicodemus and starts talking about light and darkness. And he says, hey, light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light. In other words, at some point, Jesus is saying to Joseph, who's probably there, but Nicodemus we know for sure. He's saying, hey, at some point, FOMO guys, you are going to have to decide to step into the light. I don't know what you think that means. I don't know what people have told you that that means. But at some point, you're going to have to step into the light. It doesn't mean you have to put a fish on the back of your car. Just so you know, you don't have to do that. I didn't do that. It would be a bad idea. It doesn't mean you have to learn to like organ music. Okay? It doesn't mean your wife has to stop wearing makeup and put her hair up in a bun and start wearing denim jumpers. Sorry, was that too personal? At some point, however, you are going to have to make a decision that no matter what your old life, whatever this thing was like that you thought you had all figured out, you're going to have to make a decision to step into a new life, to step into what Jesus is there to bring you. you gotta, you got to do something, all right? So it's Friday. Jesus is crucified. He died for our sins so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And something happens. We don't know, okay? We don't know what happens, but something happens to Joseph and Nicodemus at the death of Jesus. Maybe Joseph was by the cross. There was a Roman centurion who looked up at the cross, and when the, when the sky went dark and the earthquake happened, he looked up at the cross and he said, surely that was the Son of God. And he didn't believe in anything. Maybe Joseph was there. Or maybe, more likely, since Joseph is a secret believer in Jesus, he doesn't want to go watch the crucifixion. And he's a Pharisee, so where is he supposed to be? He's supposed to be at the temple. That's where they hung out. And at the death of Jesus, do you know what happened in the temple? There was also an earthquake. And the veil that was hanging in between the Holy of Holies where God was and everybody else Split in two, the Bible says, from top to bottom. As in, God took the veil and pulled it apart at the death of Jesus and said, Now we can hang out. Your sins have been paid for. I don't know what it was. Probably it was that. All I know is that something happened. Watch this. Joseph of Arimathea. A prominent member of the council, that's why he didn't want to give it up, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly. Boom. See what happened? He went from fear to boldness at the death of Jesus. This is all we know. This is how it all happened. He went boldly 
to Pilate and asked him for his body. And Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of a rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. In other words, he made a very public coming out party. He made a very public declaration of his faith. He went to Pilate, the guy who's had enough of these crazy Jews and this Jesus thing, and he's crucified. And he said, hey, Pilate, can I have the body of, of Jesus? And Pilate would have said, dude, we don't, bat, we, we, we don't bury people that we crucify. Most people didn't get buried. Most people didn't get a tomb, period. Only rich people did. But we certainly don't want to honor the body of somebody that we just executed. We don't know the conversation. Somehow Pilate's like, whatever, go do whatever you want. He goes and asks Pilate for the body. He goes to Home Depot. He buys a gorilla ladder so he can lean it up against the cross. He gets a nail puller. He pulls the nails out of Jesus' hands and feet. He pulls him down off the cross, walks across town. Everybody's seeing it. And places Jesus in a tomb. No more secrets. I'm a Jesus follower. I guess it gets deeper than this. You know whose tomb it was? It was Joseph's tomb. We know this, okay? It wasn't just some tomb. It was Joseph's tomb. Again, most people didn't have the luxury of being buried at all. Only rich people did. And if they had a tomb, it was usually something that they actually cut out of the rock that was all around there in the Middle East, and it was usually on their property, okay? So it would be like you buried your, you know, pet turtle or your pet rabbit when it died in your backyard. You didn't take it to a pet cemetery because you saw that movie and that was freaky. You don't want to do that. You know, you, you don't want the money coming back like that. So, so you buried it in your backyard. That's how, they, that's how they did it back then. They didn't have cemeteries. That's how they did it. My favorite resurrection story was uh, this woman, uh, th th this, these two young men had this dog that was always running around the neighborhood. And it came to the back deck one day with a bunny in its mouth. And it was just shaking back and forth, this bunny, having a blast with this bunny. Well, they looked and the bunny, bunny was dead. And they looked closer, and it wasn't a gray bunny. It was a white and black bunny. It was somebody's pet bunny. They knew it was their neighbor's pet bunny. So they go running in the house, and, and dad's home, and mom's not. Dad's home, and mom's not. And they said, Dad, what should we do? Mom's not home. Dad said, just clean it up put it back in the cage, and she'll think it died of natural causes. Dad's home, mom's not. You with me? Okay. So they're like, okay, cool. We'll go lie. Thanks, Dad. Awesome. And so they put the bunny, they clean the bunny up, they put the bunny back in the cage, and they wait for the lady to come home. They see the lady come home. She comes out on the back deck. Before she even gets out to the backyard, she looks out and starts screaming bloody murder. I mean, she's just screaming at the top of her lungs. So they go running over there acting like they have no idea what's going on. Hey, what's happening? Are you okay? And, and they all get that back to the rabbit cage, and there's the bunny in the cage, dead. And they said, oh, it looks like your bunny died, <laughs> you know? She said, no, it's not that. I buried that rabbit three days ago. <laughs> That's a good resurrection story. Come on. This is what I'm talking about. Joseph's tomb was probably like in the backyard. Here's the other thing we know about Joseph's tomb. The Bible tells us that it's never been used before. 
which means probably that Joseph was first-generation wealthy. This is really interesting. He was the first in his family history to have a tomb because here's how a tomb worked. Here's what, here's what a picture of one looks like, okay? This is what he's sacrificing. Normally, you would bury somebody in the tomb. You would roll the rock over. You put spices on their body. The body would decompose. You would take their bones. You would put them in a bone box. They found these all over, all over the Middle East. You would take them and put them in a bone box and put the bone box over in the side of the tomb or you'd put it someplace special or you do something with it, okay? And then when the next person died, they used the tomb all over again. This was how the process worked. Nobody had ever been buried there before. So that was kind of special, okay? The other thing that was really special is that usually, you know, you weren't like, hey, you know, my mother-in-law died. Can I borrow your tomb? It was usually your own tomb, okay? It was only family that got to use the tomb. So Joseph is making this huge statement. He's going to Pilate. He's getting the body down. He's putting it in his own tomb as a, as a show of reverence. He's making a, a public statement of stepping into to the light. He's risking his credibility, he's risking his livelihood, he's risking all of those things that he was holding on to as a secret, fearful disciple, and he's boldly walking in to following Jesus. He's not a secret follower anymore. He went from a prominent member of the council of religious leaders who killed Jesus to a guy who would give it all up because he wouldn't let fear make decisions for him anymore. In effect, he's giving up his fear of missing out because he's finally convinced that there's something better. And then watch what happens when he goes public with his faith. It's so awesome. John 19 also, by the way, tells us that Nicodemus was with Joseph when they buried Jesus in Joseph's tomb. And Nicodemus made a statement that you wouldn't notice if you didn't dig into this either. It says that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices for Jesus' body. Now, that might sound like a lot to you, and guess what? It is a lot. 75 pounds, according to scholars, would have been about 10 times more than anybody would normally bring to a burial. Normally it was five pounds or 10 pounds, but Nicodemus is carrying 75 pounds of spices. Joseph is carrying the body of Jesus. They're putting it in their tomb, in his tomb. They're carrying it for everybody to see. They're going through all this effort as a way of saying, we love this man. We followed this man. We revered this man. The more spices you brought, the more revered the person was. These guys are all in now. But didn't they wait too long? Jesus is dead. He can't see the spices. He, he doesn't know where he's being buried, which is interesting as I've been processing it. I mean, I guess I would say don't worry about it if you've waited a really long time to follow Jesus and you think all hope is lost. It's never too late. Fast forward through Saturday to Sunday morning. Women, the women come to the tomb to put more spices on the body of Jesus. They get there and the stone is rolled away. And they're like, oh, well, this is going to make it easier for us, except they go in and there's no body there. The grave clothes have been folded up nicely and put there. The grave clothes Jesus was buried in. Oh, and by the way, there was an angel who said, hey, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Now I've got to ask you a question. Do you think the ladies might have made a little bit of noise? Do you think there might have been a little bit of commotion somewhere in the middle of this? 
Do you think that maybe when they went back and got the disciples and Peter and John had a foot race to get back and see what was going on, that somewhere in the middle of that commotion, if Joseph lives on the property, he doesn't wake up and go, hmm, I wonder what's going on around here? What's all the commotion? I mean, even if he doesn't, even if I'm going too far with this generalization, even if he doesn't live there, I guarantee you one of the first things they did was go find Joseph because it's his tomb. And they're like, Joseph, what happened? Did you take the body? Did you move the body? No. It must be true. It's his tomb. It's his property. Can you imagine Joseph making a decision to go public with his faith on Friday, thinking it's too late, but making it anyway, and grieving all night Friday night, grieving on Saturday, and hearing the news and hearing the commotion and running to the tomb to see the stone rolled away and the grave clothes folded up and realizing that getting over his FOMO about following Jesus was the best thing he'd ever done. Listen to me. I don't know if this is your first time hearing this story or you've done it a lot. Light has come into the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. We've got to decide what you want to do. I can back this up with God's word. I can back this up with the testimony of thousands of satisfied customers all around you. I can back this up with a lifelong devotion to the cause. The reason for the cross and the reason for the empty tomb is this. God loves you. That's why he sent light into the darkness. That's why Jesus did what he did because of his love for you. Usually when I have this conversation, I know there are probably three different reactions somebody may give me. Maybe you're thinking, well, you don't have any idea, PT. I'm such a bad person. You don't know what I've done. It's at that point that I would remind you that there was next to Jesus on the cross a criminal who was being executed for his crimes, a thief, that's all we know, who was being crucified next to Jesus who figures, I got nothing to lose, turns to Jesus and says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I go? And Jesus says, sure. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, there's no way for that criminal to get back down off the cross because he's going to die. There's nothing, no redeeming thing that the, that criminal can do, that that thief can do. He can't get down and go make up for the bad sins that he's done. He can't make his karma be a little bit better. He can't do anything. All he can do is go, hey, can I go? And Jesus said, of course. Why do you think I'm doing this? Or maybe you're one of those people that thinks you're not that bad and you're, you kind of believe in Jesus, but you don't really know what you're doing with it, and you're not really sure what it means. you got a little bit of FOMO about your life if you follow Jesus. That's why the Joseph story is so perfect for you. Step into the light. It's never too late. Jesus may want to do a miracle in your backyard. And then again, maybe you're like me, and you're an admitted follower of Jesus and have been for a long time, but you know you're not really that great. That's why the Peter story is so great. Denied Jesus three times. 
three times and yet went on to start the church. This is why the light has to be about the light. And all you have to do is step into it. It's not about you. The empty tomb is the best news ever. You can have what you need. Your sins can be forgiven. Your future can be secure. Heaven will be your forever home. You don't have to live with fear. You don't have to live with shame or guilt. You can have hope now and forever. And it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the light. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It has to do with what Jesus Christ did for you. This is why the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who used to kill Christians for a living before he got converted, by the way, said, hey, here's what's really important. If you want to know what's really important? What I received, I pass it on to you. First importance, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and on the third day raised again according to the scriptures. That's what's important. And I don't care how long you've had FOMO about Jesus, this is your day. So, so here's the deal. We've got doors at all of our campuses. We're bringing them out on all of our campuses because I want to offer you a chance to make a public statement today. That's what the doors are going to be about, okay? You can't go get Jesus' body off the cross and bury it in your tomb, all right? And to be clear, in the Bible, people who stepped into the light, who wanted to make a, a public decision about Jesus, they got baptized. And we can't possibly baptize hundreds or thousands of people we've already had walk through these doors. We, could, we couldn't do that this weekend. We will be doing baptisms in two weeks when I do a message on FOMO heaven. And we'll do mass baptisms. And I, if you haven't done it, man, I hope you're here in a couple of weeks to hear that and, and think about getting baptized because that's, that's for you, okay? But the deal with the doors is this. What happened is several years ago, before we were multiple campuses, I used a bridge as an illustration for Easter. Some of you may remember that. I actually did it twice along the way because there's this cool scripture that works great for Easter that says that whoever hears my word, Jesus says, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. So we use the bridge because crossing over from death to life. I just love the scripture. I know it sounds easy, but uh, whoever hears, believes him who sent me has eternal life will not be condemned, cross over from death to life. So, so we had this bridge up on stage, and on a whim, we kind of said, hey, you know, if, if after the service is over, if you'd like to come up on stage and walk across the bridge as a way of symbolizing making a commitment to Jesus, or, or just maybe there's a recommitment, or maybe there's a prayer need or something, just you and God, you just want to do something to show God that you're serious, you're welcome to come up here. And we figured there'd be a few people, maybe a few hundred people. We had thousands of people come up and walk across the bridge. They were literally waiting in line until the next service was starting to symbolically cross over from death to life. So I thought, well, you know, every once in a while, there's probably a message where we want to have something tangible for you to do. So we came up with the door, the door symbolism. It's pretty easy. Jesus also said, Another one of those simple scriptures that seems too good to be true. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. It's really that simple. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have communion. 
And then there's going to be a worship song. And, and during that worship song, your campus pastor will lead you during that song, or, or you can wait till after the service if you want to, to come up and walk into the light. There's a light inside the door, and you can walk into the light, walk through the door. Jesus said, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me, he will be saved. And here's what's really interesting. He goes on to say, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That, those scriptures go together. In other words, I am telling you, I am here to give you abundant life, but there's somebody that's talking to you that's saying, oh, hang on to it. Hang on to your old life. Hang on to that fear. I mean, he's been doing it ever since the Garden of Eden, right? He was like, are you sure you want to follow God, Adam and Eve? Don't you want to eat this apple? And, of course, they did. We've been listening to this, this idiot thief all of our life, all of our human existence. And what does he want? He wants to steal and kill and destroy. So if in the back of your mind there's a voice going, ah, you don't really want to walk through the door, I can tell you who that voice is. And I can tell you what he wants. And I can also tell you that Jesus wants to do a miracle in your backyard. And it's abundant life that starts now and goes forever. So step into the light. We have communion first. Um, we, and that's one of the sacraments that Jesus gave us. He said, take this bread and this cup. And whenever you eat and drink, remember my body and my blood. And so we do. We do it every week here at Parkview. It's an important part of what we do. We think the symbolism stuff is really, really important. And just so you know, it's not our communion. It's his communion. So it's not about Parkview. It's not about our church. We don't care if you're a member of our church or not or where you've come from. It doesn't matter to me how much faith you have in Jesus. If you have a thief on a cross amount of faith in Jesus... Trey's going to come by, take the cups out. There's two, one inside the other one, and hold them for a minute, and we'll do communion together. We welcome you to do it with us. Spoiler alert, I've already given you on the book. What I figured out is every time Jesus got mad, it was because of denied access to the Father. And the things that make me mad about the 21st century are when Christians deny access to the Father. When anybody denies access to the Father, when anybody gets in the way of, of, of the love that God has for his children, that's not our place and it made Jesus mad. So we've done everything that we possibly can at this church to remove the barriers as good as we possibly can and get them out of the way for you so that you have access. We don't care if you're the thief on the cross, if you're Simon Peter, if you're Joseph. We don't care who you are in this story. If you want to walk in and find the light and find your father, he's waiting for you. Let's do it today. God, I pray. You'll be with us as we, as we stop listening to the thief, as we stop listening to the voice of fear that comes to steal and kill and destroy, and we stop hiding in the darkness, and we will step into the light. Whoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life that you have come to bring life and bring it abundant, abundant life. Jesus, thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for being the light. Thank you for being the door. 
Thank you for giving us access. Thank you for ripping the veil. If you people are listening to me online, wherever you are, and you're not sure where you're at with Jesus, I just want to give you an opportunity to pray this prayer with me in your heart. So you can know you've had this conversation. Something like this in your heart. Jesus, I want to give you my heart. I give you the keys. I accept your gift of forgiveness and I want to follow you. I want to step into the light. I want to spend the rest of my life figuring out what following you looks like. Nobody's got it figured out. I sure don't. We're going to keep trying to figure out what it looks like to have abundant life on this earth and to know that we're going to have it eternally with you in our life. Father, I pray that you'll be with us. Jesus, we ask you to do miracle after miracle in our backyard this Easter. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.